Well, that is exactly what we're doing together today is a body of believers. We're remembering. We're remembering the goodness of our God, His mercies to us, how gracious He is to us. And of course, we're remembering those who actually died, giving the ultimate sacrifice so that we could enjoy these freedoms that we so richly enjoy together. It's a blessing to be part of a country that was founded not by all of the founders being Christians, but clearly the founders unashamedly put into our Bill of Rights and our Constitution a fundamental belief in God that we have been endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. That it's not government that gives us our rights. It's God. That even government is accountable to God. There is a Creator. And we live in a nation that's been blessed because of that Judeo-Christian foundation. Blessed far beyond what we would really even comprehend, apart from God teaching us more and more daily through his word. And I'm reminded in scripture that we who have, by God's grace, come to believe in Jesus and trust him as Savior, that we are called into the army of God. God uses that analogy that as we live our life in a fallen world, we're in a spiritual battle. And this analogy is often used, as Paul said to Timothy, he said, endure hardness or difficulties as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No person who wars a soldier in active duty entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. That is, God is saying, don't let the temporal world values and system in your life. Remember God. Remember that if you're a believer, you've been called to be a soldier. You've been called to a spiritual warfare that's very real. (laughs) And so be faithful to that. Ephesians 6, uh, Paul brings that analogy. He says, Be strong in the Lord and then put on the whole armor of God. And then he goes through each of the pieces of what a Roman soldier wore. And he made an analogy to faith and the scripture and all of the fundamental things that we need to be able to stand strong in our daily calling to be a soldier for Jesus Christ. Well, this morning I'd like to leave with you two simple thoughts, but I think profound thoughts from the Bible. And the very first one is this. Beware of the danger of forgetting God. This theme, as you'll see and be reminded today, is found through the flow of Scripture. This is one of the reasons every year at the beginning of the year I give you this strong emphasis. Get a Bible reading plan and stick with it. Now, this would be a good time for me just to have a little quiz. How you doing? (laughs) Okay. How you doing in your Bible reading? Uh, It's been a crazy year, but all the more to be in God's Word, right? And so, how are you doing? And if you if you've started to neglect that and just got busy, you've let the Bible kind of get dusty, get back to the Bible, reading the Word of God daily. Well, we see this theme in the Bible. Beware of the danger of forgetting God. I'd like you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And while you're turning there, I want to just give you a few other texts as a background. In Psalm 9, verse 17, the Bible says this, The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Now, that's a Bible promise. Nations that forget God will be turned into hell. We need to take that seriously, don't we? 
going to pray for our nation. Because as I'm going to share with you today, I believe it's very clear our nation is forgetting God. Our nation is forgetting God. It's not a theory, it's a fact. And I'll share many things with you that I think will help you to understand that better. But God is a gracious creator. But he's also an all-powerful sovereign who holds accountability for everything he's created. Psalm 2 tells us, kiss the son. Bow down before him. Submit to him. Because one day you will account to him. And the nations will account to God. As well as individuals. And so it is that choices, either to remember God or just kind of put him out of our life and do our own thing, Choices by nations and individuals have consequences. And the Bible teaches this so clearly. And so think with me about the danger of forgetting God is seen in the Bible. That the Bible teaches this over and over and we'll just touch on a few. But go all the way back to the beginning. In Genesis chapter 2, God speaks to Adam and Eve, created perfectly in a perfect world and environment, but he didn't make them robots. He created them in his image with intellect, emotion, will, volition. And so, as not robots, there was the choice to follow God or not. And there was one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, don't eat of that tree. You can enjoy everything else, but here's the boundaries for your good. And sure enough, we know the choice Adam made. And he chose to directly disobey God. And exactly what the Bible said would happen did happen. He ate of the fruit, Romans 5 tells us, by one person. Adam's sin, sin then entered into the world, and death came because of sin. Before that, there was no death. Death and suffering and difficulty, it isn't by God's orchestration, it's by man's choice. And so it is that physical death, the aging process started in Adam's body, but immediately spiritual death. He had a guilty conscience and fled from God. He knew he wasn't right with God now. And then ultimately eternal death. If he would persist in that condition and die physically, he would be eternally separated from God. All of that took place and praise God. God in his graciousness said, I'll make a way for your sin to be forgiven if you'll repent and believe in the substitutionary sacrifice of the Lamb. And that ultimate Lamb of God, Jesus, came and we're celebrating and remembering him today. But so we see that in the Bible, there's this warning. If you sin and choose to not remember me, that is, you put me out of your mind and you do your own thing, there will be consequences. Yes. Well, it's true of Israel. Israel, the nation, was warned by God not to forget. They were God's chosen people, a people often sinful and rebellious, yet God in sovereignty chose through Israel to bring us our Bible, our inspired scripture of Old New Testament. Almost all of it was written by Jewish believers. Uh, Luke was a Gentile, but the bulk of the Bible. Through the Jewish people, God chose to bring us our Messiah, Jesus, who died for the sins of all people, that all people of all nations can have eternal life with God in heaven. And here's what God said through Moses to God's chosen nation there in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6.10, if you'll follow along in your Bible. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land, that is the promised land, after they were delivered out of slavery in Egypt, which he swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not, houses full of good things, which thou fillest not, and wells digged, which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not, 
When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware lest thou forget the Lord. You see that? Beware. Don't forget. Which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear or reverence, respect the Lord thy God and serve him. And shalt swear by his name. You shall not go after other gods for the gods of the people which are around you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God. That is, he's righteously, protectively passionate for the good. For your good and for the best. He is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. Over in Chronicles, another Old Testament passage, God said this, If you turn away, Israel, and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck, I will pluck them out of the, uh, by the roots out of my land, which I have given them, and this house, which I have sanctified for my name, the Jewish temple, will I cast out of my sight and will make it a proverb and a byword among the nations. Do you know that's exactly what happened? Israel had some wonderful times of blessing. Under David, times with Solomon and other kings, they followed hard after God. They loved God. They worshiped God. And God blessed Israel. It's all in history. It's in Scripture. But unfortunately, we also know the record of history in the Bible that in time, the nation of Israel began to neglect God, to forget God, to neglect worship, to neglect obeying the Scriptures. They allowed the sinful nations around them to push them into their ungodly mold. And God's promise that if God's people would forget God and be filled with unbelief, willful sin, then they would suffer consequences. And it happened. The Assyrians came in and took Israel, the northern kingdom, into bondage. And then we've studied in our discipleship series how Babylon came in and just took Judah and Daniel was uprooted, the temple was destroyed, carried 500 miles away into captivity. They suffered exactly the consequences that God said would take place in the Bible. Forgetting God leads to walking in spiritual darkness. The New Testament commentary on this same Old Testament principle. What happens, we read in Romans chapter 1, where it speaks of the entire Gentile history and the Gentile nations of the world, which we all have been given the light of seeing God's power, his Godhead, through the creation. Every day when you get up, when you see the sunrise, when you see the sunset, when you see the buds coming out, you're reminded there's a creator, there's a designer, there's an all-powerful God. This couldn't all have just happened. You need a lot of faith to believe that. And a lot of people have that faith. They've been indoctrinated to believe that. And so, Romans 1, verse 20 says this, The invisible things, the attributes of God, that he's all-powerful, he's creative, he's loving, he's powerful. From the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, all of creation about us. Even his eternal power and Godhead, his divine nature, so that they are without excuse. So it is, in verse 21 says, Because that when they knew God... There is a creator. There is someone to whom I'm accountable. They glorified or honored him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain or worthless in their imaginations, in their thinking, their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Go home this afternoon. 
and read the rest of the story in Romans 1. It's happened in civilization and nation after nation throughout history. You can go back and study it and it'll compare up that when a people who know about God and have a measure of truth, they choose to forget God. Three things will happen. Sexual immorality will abound in that culture. Number two, sexual perversion, including sodomy, lesbianism, and so forth, will take place. As man just worships his own pleasure rather than the design of God for one man, one woman marriage. The third thing is, this is the last tier. This is the worst when you're at the bottom. The society will approve it. The society will promote it. Guess what, folks? That's where we're at. We're not the first one. This has happened throughout history. But it's happening now in this wonderful land where we have been so blessed. And so it is. Forgetting God leads to being controlled by the prince of darkness who disguises himself as an angel of light. Ephesians 2 reminds us that we who are believers, who've come to faith in Christ, we've been quickened or made alive spiritually by faith. We were dead in our sins, that is, separated spiritually from God. In the time past, we walked according to the course of this world, that is, the world system that leaves God out. We walked according to the prince of the power of the air, that is, Satan, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience or unbelievers who don't understand or know God's purposes. 2 Corinthians warns that there will be false or counterfeit apostles, deceitful workers, who will transform themselves and masquerade as apostles of Christ. But it's no marvel because Satan himself is transformed. He masquerades as an angel of light. Uh, Satan takes truth and mixes it with error so as to deceive, damn, and destroy. He takes good words like tolerance, equality, fairness, and he redefines them to endorse sin and the violation of God's clear, unchanging commands, his loving design to bless mankind through one man, one woman marriage. He takes a term like woman's rights to defend taking a baby's life, a human being's life in the womb. What's the difference between killing a baby one month before it's born and one month after? And there's no form of abortion that doesn't cause pain to that baby in the womb. That's a person. And our government and our court says it's okay. God doesn't. And God's the final authority. And our government was founded on the belief that we have a creator to whom even government is accountable. So when the courts say something's right that God says is wrong, it's still wrong. And we need to understand that. And even in a culture that will condemn us for being narrow, bigoted, and hateful, we're simply speaking truth and love that's for the good of the nation and good of the people and the good of the glory of God. And so it is, that's exactly the spiritual warfare that we're called to stand up for in our culture, in our world, in our day, even as Daniel was called. And it's only by knowing God personally through faith in Jesus, accepting Christ so that God's Holy Spirit comes to indwell us, faithfully studying God's Word so we understand the times and what we're called to, that we'll be able to discern right from wrong in a culture that's so confused by Satan's deceptions. Forgetting God ends in spiritual and eternal death. The Bible teaches this. 
John 3, this is the condemnation that light, Jesus, the light of the world, has come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light lest his deeds be reproved. Why don't people come to Christ? Because they don't know? Oh no, it's because they don't want truth. They don't want to walk in the light. They don't want to obey God. They want to be their own God. He that believes and trusts on the Son has everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life. And the wrath of God abides on him. Wow, that's true, isn't it? Jesus said that. And those are not hurtful words. Those are helpful words. Those are words said to help us to see the truth and turn from error to God. Mark 9, Jesus reminds us that if we do not repent and turn to God, we will suffer in hell where the fire shall never be quenched. It's a big deal. And God tells us that clearly. Revelation 21 tells us the fearful or cowards, the unbelieving, the abominable, those devoid of character, devoid of character and integrity, murderers, whoremongers, the sexual immoral, sorcerers, occultists, idolaters, all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth or blazes with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It's a big deal to forget God. They're big consequences. They're eternal consequences. The danger then of forgetting God is taught all through the Bible. And we're just touching on a few of the places. Now think with me. The danger of forgetting God is seen in history. That these principles bear out. There's a connection between turning away from God and the Bible. And the downfall of freedoms, liberties, blessings, and nations. Think with me about Russia. The vast majority of the people in the Russian Empire were, at the time of the revolution back in 1922, religious believers. Whereas the communists who took over aimed to break the power of all religious institutions, eventually to replace religious belief with atheism. They came up with the redefinition of science, counterposed to religious superstition. And in the media, and academic writings and education, they taught faith in material and energy randomly over millions and millions of years developing the wonders that we enjoy. That belief is opposed to the belief of the Bible that there's a God, a creator, an all-powerful designer that gave us all these things and to whom we are accountable. Paul Froese explains this. Atheists waged a 70-year war on religious belief in the Soviet Union. The Communist Party destroyed churches, mosques, temples. It executed religious leaders. It flooded the schools and media with anti-religious propaganda. It introduced a belief system called scientific atheism, complete with atheistic rituals, proselytizers, and a promise of worldly salvation. Alexander Solzhenitsyn came out of that religious and political oppression in Russia. And he warned the citizens of the West, including America, in a BBC interview in 1976. Here's what he said, quote, A people which no longer remembers has lost its history and its soul. One must think of what, what might happen unexpectedly in the West. 
The West is on the verge of a collapse created by its own hands. He went on to say, of the greatest dangers of all is that you have lost the sense of danger. But the greatest danger, you've lost the, the, the will to defend yourself. Your society refuses to heed our warning voices. And all of us are standing on the brink of a great historical cataclysm, a flood that swallows up civilization and changes whole epochs. Well, you see, when Christian values are displaced in a nation, terrible things happen. Terrible things happen. When nations turn away from Christianity, disaster follows. One descriptive estimate of the number of the people killed by Soviet Russia is that no fewer than 20 million Soviet citizens were put to death by the regime or died as a direct result of its repressive policies. That doesn't include millions of people who died in wars, epidemics, and famines that were predictable consequences of the Bolshevik policies. Think what happened in Germany. There was a great re religious liberty in Germany before Hitler came in speaking deceptive lies. In 1933, he made a speech in the Reichstag describing Christianity as the foundation for German values. Well, many churches stood by and said nothing as he took power and Christianity's influence was replaced by a German dictator in a totalitarian state. What followed? The Holocaust. Genocide of European Jews during World War II. Between 1941 and 45, Nazi Germany its collaborators systematically murdered some six million Jews across German-occupied Europe. About two-thirds of Europe's Jewish population, they were exterminated through labor in uh, concentration camps, in gas chambers, in gas vans, uh, in German extermination camps. Now, these things shouldn't surprise us if we study history at all. Daniel Webster and many of our founders gave warning of these kind of things because they lived under oppression in Britain. Religious freedom was not there, and that's why we got our amendments that we now are about to lose apart from the grace of God. The U.S. warnings of our founders, here's what Webster said in 1802, hold on to the Constitution and to the republic for which it stands. Miracles do not cluster. And what has happened once in 6,000 years may not happen again. He got it. He understood that it hasn't been the history of the world to have religious freedom. This has been a unique thing, a special thing. It's a unique thing that our Bill of Rights in our Constitution talk about our rights coming from God. It's a unique thing that even today now we're blessed with maybe a fourth of the world where there's a measure of freedom that came out of the Reformation and came out of the Constitution of the United States affecting the whole world. The teaching that because of a Bible understanding there must be a balance of powers. There's no one person that's the final authority. Because of the sinfulness of the human heart we must have a balance of powers that personal freedoms would be granted because people have inalienable rights having been created in the image of God. 
That has changed history. That's changed the world, those beliefs for good. That it's God, not government, that is our final authority. Ben Franklin, in the Constitutional Convention 1787, said this, There is scarce a king in a hundred who would not, if he could, follow the example of Pharaoh, get first all of the people's money, then all their lands, and then make them and their children servants forever. I am apprehensive that the government of the states may in future times end in a monarchy. Well, once our courts in our land, contrary to what the people at that time believed or wanted, ruled that creation, God, the Bible could no longer be taught in the government schools as a basis of origins. And that the teaching of eternal mass and energy randomly developed our world apart from God. From that point forward, the basis for pure relativism, humanism, and atheism firmly took its place in our culture, one generation after another, being taught from that worldview in, in opposition to the biblical worldview that had been the basis for many, many years, all of our nation's history up till then. Now every person is mere chance, no accountability, no true lasting values from God. Now, changing culture and changing courts can decide what's right and wrong. The U.S., what's happening in our nation, the evidences of our nation forgetting and the results of these decisions made. The historical blessings of our Judeo-Christian roots have brought great fruits. And the people of this day, including ourselves, are enjoying the fruits and attacking the roots and destroying the very things that have brought the blessings. Harvard, Yale, Colgate, other Christian Bible colleges that started off to glorify God and to equip people to know God personally through Jesus and to follow a biblical worldview, over time perverted and rejected the very things they were founded upon. Now, those philosophies have made their way into all of our government schools. And so it is that the roots of a Judeo-Christian ethic that have brought great blessing to the world are not taught anymore. People are not taught where it all came from. That is, the benefits of the Judeo-Christian worldview, it can be strongly proven, I believe, by history, and where there are books written on this that would validate that it's through the Judeo-Christian values, they became the basis for hospitals, for schools, courts, and justice, freedom and laws that encourage fair living, prosperity, opportunity, scientific advances, advances, human rights, cultural values, the dignity of life, personal property. You don't come and take someone else's property. Uh, other basic rights, women's rights, children's rights, workers' rights, a society where slavery no longer exists openly. We're facing great dangers because the belief system that was the basis for all those good things happening is now being attacked and rejected. You see, one author describes us as a nation moving from faith or diligence to sloth. We've lost our worldview. We're moving from hope or compassion to envy, 
from love or generosity to greed, from justice or patience to wrath, from courage or humility to pride, from temperance or abstinence to gluttony, and from prudence or chastity to lust. Nearly 70% of younger Americans born during the 1980s believe it's not important to live in a democracy. Well, where are they coming from? Well, they're coming from an educational system that has not taught them their roots and where their blessings came from. Multiple researchers have documented the reality that America and the younger demographics or ages are turning away from Christ, God, and the Bible. The toll is great for removing God, prayer, the Ten Commandments in the Bible, out of our schools, out of our educational systems, out of many of our churches and homes. It's resulting in generations now being educated with a man-centered, God and Bible ignoring and denying worldview. Millennials are significantly less religious than previous generations, including boomers and Generation X at the same age. But it's no wonder we understand why. The religious freedoms many have fought and died for in our nation are now under attack within our nation, where wrong is called right and right is called wrong. Teachers are suspended for speaking the biblical view of sexuality. The sanctity of life in the womb and of marriage of one man, one woman, it's still an unchanging truth, and it's a value taught in God's Word, which isn't going to change because God's nature doesn't change. But the darker the night, the brighter the light. And so it is, the danger of forgetting God is clear in the Bible. It's clear in history. Number two, let's take this home to heart. Let's then embrace the delight of remembering God. And that's what we're doing today. You're here in a Bible-believing church, and we still have the freedom to gather. Let's embrace the delight of remembering God. Remembering that God, remembering God leads to spiritual light. John said in 1 John, uh, this is the message you've heard of us. And we declare to you that God is light. In him is no darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. And so when we repent of our sin and receive Jesus as our savior, light comes into us. And now through his word and his spirit, we're able to walk in light and walk in truth. Remembering God leads to being controlled by the one who is the true light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So when he comes into your life, you have the light of the world to lead you and direct you. Remembering God opens the door to spiritual and eternal life. You see, Jesus, the light, was manifested to us. And when we believe on him, we have eternal life. Remembering God in your youth. Remember Ecclesiastes. Remember him in the days of your youth. That's what we need to do. But then remembering him in your middle years, in your senior years. Hebrews says, keep looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. And so once you accept Christ, then keep looking to Christ and start well, run well, keeping your eyes on Jesus and finish well. Even in your last years, in your last breath, keep looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, you're walking in the light. Regardless of what the culture or others around you are doing, you're walking in the light.
Any person of any age can come to God through faith in Jesus and receive forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Remember by meditating in God's word. Remember Psalm 1 that if you will meditate daily in God's word, God pictures you spiritually like a tree planted by the rivers of water. You'll bring forth fruit and whatever you do will prosper. Believe that. Make that your practice to meditate in God's word daily. And then don't forsake the gathering together with other believers. You see, God says we're to gather together. And so it is like the coals of a fire. If you spread them out, the fire goes out. But if you gather them, they warm one another. And the Bible tells us we're to encourage one another. Don't come to church only for what you get. Though you should come to get the word of God. Be in a Bible-based church. But come to give. Hebrews says, come and encourage each other. Ask God on your way to church, Lord, Spirit of God, use me today. Who's somebody I could encourage today? Who's somebody I could bless? Learn to live a life of loving others. And so it is remembering by teaching God's word to your children and your children's children. You, recently in our series on discipleship, we talked from Deuteronomy 6 of how discipleship starts in the home. These truths must first be in the hearts of the parents. And then the parents are to teach these truths to their children and their children's children all through the week when you rise up, when you go to bed. The center for Christian education and God-centered education starts at home. Remember, by choosing weekly to give God the tithe and the first fruits of what he has provided for you is an act of worship and a reminder that everything came from God. God owns everything. But for our good, he teaches us, put me first in your treasure and then you will remember me. Because it's a constant reminder, it all came from God. I don't own any of it. I just steward it for a short time while I'm here on earth. And so Jesus taught that where your treasure is, your heart will be. Proverbs tells us, honor the Lord with your substance. With the first fruits of all your increase, put God first, tangibly. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. Malachi 3 says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Prove me that I won't open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. 2 Corinthians tells us, Every person as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or out of a necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. 1 Corinthians 16 says, On the first day of the week, that's the day Jesus arose. That's the day we gather to celebrate the new covenant in Christ's blood. Set aside... Give systematically, proportionately, as God has blessed you. How do we remember? By learning to pray without ceasing. Learning that prayer is not just something you do at mealtime and when you go to bed, but you're talking to God all through the day. You're learning to praise, pray, cast your burdens on Him. Remember by seeking to love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Remember Him by seeking to glorify Him in all things. Let me just ask, what dangers of forgetting are threatening your life? It's good for us to hear God's word so we can examine ourselves to be different. And so it is, we should each today on this Memorial Day take stock, shouldn't we? We should recognize those areas in our life where we're beginning to neglect God. We're forgetting God. And then we should confess that as sin to the Lord. And we should pray, revive my heart, Lord. Put in me a first love for God, the Bible, Christ. Help me to remember you. Then we should pray for our church and pray for our nation and beg God, Lord, we don't deserve it, but bring revival. 
turn our hearts back toward you. Our only hope is in Jesus. And then we need to ask ourselves, have I received Jesus as my Savior? Is it personal? Do I just know about him? Did I say words of a prayer, but I didn't truly have a heart, repentance, and faith? Then I need to put my faith in Jesus and choose to remember him daily and follow him wholeheartedly all the days of my life. I love this true story out of history about remembering and its importance. It was with gratitude that prompted an old man to visit an old broken-down pier on the eastern seacoast of Florida. Every Friday night, until his death in 1973, he would return and he'd walk slowly, slightly stooped with a large bucket of shrimp. And the seagulls would flock to the old man and he would feed them from his bucket. Many years before, in October 1942, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker was on a mission in a B-17, sent to deliver an important message to General Douglas MacArthur in New Guinea. Well, there was an unexpected detour that hurled Captain Eddie and his whole crew into a harrowing adventure. Somewhere over the South Pacific, the Flying Fortress became lost and out of radio contact. Fuel ran low and they had to ditch the plane in the ocean. For nearly a month, Captain Eddie and his companions, they would fight water, weather, scorching sun, sleepless nights as giant sharks would ram their raft. The largest raft was nine by five, the biggest shark 10 feet long. These were enemies at sea, but their most difficult enemy was starvation. Eight days out, their rations were long gone or destroyed by salt water. It would take a miracle to sustain them. And praise God, a miracle occurred. In Captain Eddie's own words, Cherry, that was the B-17 pilot, Captain William Cherry, quote, read the service that afternoon and we finished with a prayer for deliverance and a hymn of praise. There was some talk, but it tapered off in the oppressive heat. With my hat pulled down over my eyes, uh, I dozed off. Now it's still Captain Rickerbacher speaking. Something landed on my head. I knew it was a seagull. I don't know how, I just knew it was a seagull. Everybody else knew. (laughs) Nobody said a word. But peering out from under my hat brim without moving my head, I could see the expression on their faces. They were staring at that gull. The gull meant food, if I could catch it. And the rest, as they say, is history. Captain Eddie caught the gull. Its flesh was eaten. Its intestines were used for bait to catch fish. The survivors were sustained. Their hopes were renewed because of a lone seagull. Uncharacteristically, hundreds of miles from land offered itself as a sacrifice. You know that, of course, Captain Eddie made it, but now you also know that he never forgot. Every Friday evening, about sunset, on a lonely stretch along the eastern Florida seacoast, you could see this old man walking, white-haired, brushy-eyebrowed, slightly bent, 
his bucket filled with shrimp. He went out to feed the gulls and to remember, to remember that one gull and that one day when that one gull gave itself without a struggle like manna in the wilderness. You know, it's important we not forget, isn't it? It's important we remember. And for we who are believers, it's so important that we never forget the one who gave himself for us. That our sins could be forgiven and that we could have abundant life in this life and eternal life in the next. May we never forget Jesus. May we remember him. May he be the first thought in our mind as we awake and the last thought on our mind as we go to sleep. May we remember Jesus. And in opposition to the dangers of forgetting, may we embrace the blessings that come from God to those who choose to remember.